Welcome to the Materialist Podcast, mini episode number six. I guess the unofficial title of my little solo cast mini episodes is What's on Nigel's Shelves? For those of y'all that this is your first episode, the whole basis of this mini episode solo cast series is just to, to investigate a little bit deeper into the material culture that I surround myself with on a daily basis here as I'm under quarantine. My wife and my daughter were uh, chilling at home talking about some of the objects that I have on the display shelves in our home. My wife and I are both ceramic artists. Therefore, we have a pretty extensive collection of ceramic objects in our home. I thought it would be a great opportunity to start looking at some of these objects a little closer and speaking to some of the makers of these objects when I'm able to, to find out a little bit more what their motivation was for making functional pottery, you know. Of course, sticking with the main question, the main theme of all of the Materialist podcast is do objects have agency? At the end of the episode, Chris mentions about the dots on his pottery, and I had spoken to him about that earlier in the episode, had to edit, had to cut that section because of some audio errors, but that's what that was about. We had spoken about that at the beginning of the episode, and so he brings it up again towards the end of the episode, and so nobody's confused, but that's that. This episode starring Chris Pickett, ceramic artist, uh, who's now living in Pocatello, Idaho. And here is my conversation with Chris Pickett. Yeah, I'm Chris Pickett, ceramic artist, assistant professor, Idaho State University. All right, so Chris, the basic premise of this podcast, as you know, and is looking at this question, do objects have agency? And so I have these shelves. I'm sure you saw them at our old place, covered with pots, and you have some substantial real estate on those shelves, some of your work. I've had your work for a long period of your career. And so it's really cool seeing the transition of how things have progressed to the where they are now. So anyways, the first question, it's the easiest one. Why do you make pottery? Why did you decide to make functional work? Let's start there. Um, and I don't, I, that's the thing. It's not like um, a lot of folks have this like, um, lack of a better term, this sort of like like romanticized like a lot of times like people will tell you like you know like how they got into clay and it's like first we got a lot of candle or something and like i don't know <laughs> yeah um, like no like a lot of times it is like this like very sort of like a like romanticized thing and like it wasn't necessarily that way with me it's kind of like um i don't know it's weird like thinking about like how folks end up doing whatever it is they do and a lot of times it's just like dumb luck you yeah. know like where you're at or like you know an experience you had or it's kind of like um like kind of like a stream like you know like um everything is just fluid you know like um like you plop a rock down in the middle of the stream and like the, like the water just cuts around either side and it's sort of like that just like like the situation like um like how I actually got into like I was actually an engineering major at a junior college um, <clears throat> but I always liked to draw as you know in high school I always liked art classes and stuff so when I went to junior college I just like basically took every art class as like my electives and 
ceramics was one of them. And it, it wasn't it wasn't one of these like you know like there's like a eureka moment. I took a I took a course and now I was interested in it. And like and like to be honest, it's like it's silly. Okay, no, I'll actually really tell you this, but this is probably going to go longer than 15 minutes. You'll have to cut a bunch of this stuff. No, out. dude, please just talk, man. Yeah. So no, this is actually really ridiculous. Like, how did I get into ceramics? Okay, I'll tell you. Um, mm. Like I was at junior college, Chattanooga State. I had taken ceramics course, and then there was um, like I was taking this one credit like course on a weekend. Um, like the instructor's name is Marilyn Portera. She actually still teaches at this fancy like private school in the Chattanooga, Tennessee. But she was teaching this like you know like one credit class. It was basically stacking forms. And I was at the point where like you know I realized I hated engineering. Like it's horrible. I didn't want to have that life. And like I just knew I wanted to do something in art. But I, it's kind of like. So yeah. do you, did you think that like engineering was it was too rigid and like. No, no, it was something like, you know, it was something I could do, you know, like, it's like math, like I can do math, I understand how to do it, or like, you know, like, like, right, all the math courses, like math, geometry, whatever, like, I understand it, and I can do it, but there is like no enjoyment in it whatsoever, and like, <laughs> yeah. classes I was taking, like, like Pascal, Fortran, and like, uh, calculus with analytical geometry, one, two, and three, it's like, mm, yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's like, I was like, I'm not really having fun like in these classes, much less if, yeah, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So, and I like dropped out of school. Anyways, when I like, and I changed majors, but the one constant was always like the art, um, mm -hmm. the art classes, like, you know, filling those um, electives. And like one time, like basically my advisor is like, I'm sorry to break it to you, Chris, but I think you're just going to be an art major. <laughs> um, That's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Good honesty you know, right there. Cold hard facts. Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, but anyways, like, uh, like this, I took this one credit class with like, uh, like this instructor and uh, I was at the point where I knew I wanted to do art, but I didn't know. And I, it's, it's weird because as ridiculous as it is to ask any 18 year old what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Like I think it's sometimes still ridiculous to ask a 30 year old that question. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. A 44 year old. That's I'm just speaking for myself. Yeah, like, and like, you know, you're at this juncture and you're trying to make these decisions, which you have like literally no information. Like you have no information to answer these questions. Uh, it's like, what do you want to do for, you know, like, and I was like, I want to do art. Like what, a, it's like, <laughs> the, like, the reasoning is, is like looking back, like it's like the, the least, it's funny because this is my career and like, it's like literally like the least, like the most least informed like decision I've ever made. I had no idea what that meant, like what it would be like to be an artist. Um, any of it. <clears throat> um, this instructor, her husband at the time was unemployed. She was driving a, like a shiny new Honda Accord. And I'm like, man. Fancy. <laughs> like, oh yeah. You know, if you like, like potters, you can like, if you can really throw, you can like really make a lot of money. I'm like, really? Oh my gosh. Um, so like, you know, I see this. It's like, wow. Okay. I could do that. You know, cause you think like it's, this is like the logic of like a 20, whatever year old. It's like, well, it's probably easier to sell a coffee cup than a sculpture, you know, or <laughs> yeah. whatever. Little did you know. Anyways, like, uh, that was kind of like my model. Here's the problem. Like, there's some information that I was not aware of. Uh, one, that um, her family, um, like, owned the, the entire, like, Bluff U Art District in, like, the town I grew up in, and they were <laughs> pretty much subsidizing her career. That information did not go into my decision. <laughs> and uh, so, it, like I said, like that, like how I got into it was like based on like as little information as possible and my understanding of what that would mean. And then from there, it was just kind of like 
basic curiosity, really. Eventually you decided though that you were going to be this like, cause you, you went to undergrad for ceramics at Knoxville, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then grad school right here at UF still making pots though. And you know, you never really ventured outside into the sculpture world. Did you? I did, not that I, you were making those sort of pots that were sculptures for a little while. Well, I mean, like some people, they say they're the sculptural vessels or it's always about function for the most part, like in the last year or so, I've made some wall tiles. They're, yeah, I mean, I think they still like functional. Like, they like, they still function in sort of the like they're still like in the domestic like the sphere of the domestic. I will say some of the same themes I use in the functional work are present in in that work as well. But I'm not going to get too fancy with it. <clears throat> they are domestic objects still. Yeah, and so that really kind of ties into the next question I wanted to ask, and that I've always wanted to ask is that your work is really rooted in that idea of like domesticity, like ritual and home and a little bit nostalgic. Does that make any sense? So what is it about like expressing kind of those interests that you have about nostalgia and like this domestic space through pottery? Does that make any sense? Like what? No, no, like I know it makes a lot of sense. Like that's, you know, a good deal of what the work is about. If you think about, like, as far as just, like, addressing the first one, like, just, like, the domesticity or the domestic space, like, you think about, like, what that is, and it is, like, a, it is a space, it is a space about comfort, um, it's a space where you can be vulnerable, it's, like, where you can sort of, like, shed the veneer, the, like, I don't know, like, when you, the way you treat a colleague is going to be different than the way you treat a partner hmm. or a family member. Anyways, it's a, it's a space where you can sort of like shed that veneer that you walk around with, like, you know, on the outside. That's a place where you can be vulnerable. It's a place where you spend time with family, friends. Um, so it's a very intimate space. And it's interesting, like, at the beginning, like you were talking about one of the premises of the podcast is do objects have agency? And that, mm. I would say, yes, we absolutely do. And it's interesting, like, how they, like, come to have that. And it's basically like us giving them that power, like thinking about, well, really what is a space? Cause it's interesting, you know, there for a while when I was like after grad school, going from residency to residency, like I have a, like a Honda CRV and I would rent a, like a four by eight or a five by eight U-Haul trailer of which my bed took up half of that. Cause it's a cushy bed. <laughs> um, so you have to figure out, okay, like what, like what are you going to carry? And that's the thing is like, like some people really don't care. Like, it's like, yeah, give me like, you know, like a, like a throw a mattress on the floor and like, you know, I got like a milk crate for a nightstand. We're good to go. Right. At this point in my life, I guess I need more. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I need to be able to create a space or like have a space like to craft a space, I guess, like that is comfortable that like no matter where, cause that's the weird thing when you're picking up and go like and a lot of times with residencies, like sometimes you're only there for a year and, um, it can be unsettling as far as like, you know, it's like bouncing around all the time, like um, your environment's totally changing. So it's nice to have like this sort of like defined space that like is sort of like that comfort zone or place of refuge, place that's like you can create that's yours. Like, you know, especially if you're like going from like apartment to apartment or whatever, you want to at least like, like if you're there in that like strange place, you want that famili- sense of familiarity. And it's a challenge actually like thinking about like, okay, what actually do you need to take? And it becomes interesting thinking about that. Um, like what does it take to hmm. sort of like have that sense of comfort? And it is interesting. Like once you like live with objects, like how, like how objects like 
sort of like take on meaning or like how objects like, you know, like come to have agency. And it is sort of like our experiences that provide them with that. It's uh, kind of like, say like you buy a new cup, like we'll use ceramics as an example, it seems appropriate. <laughs> uh, you know, you like you buy a new cup um, and then somehow, I mean, cause I have like a tons of, tons of cups, but it's weird. You always find yourself reaching for like these similar ones, depending on whatever, like what beverage, you know, you're like, you know, like have a different one, obviously for coffee and whiskey. But like, I often find myself, you know, sort of like, like going back. And a lot of it's sort of, like you said, like ritual, a lot of it is about that experience, about that there's something like comforting about that object. And then like at some point, like after you like spend so much time with an object, then like the sense of power of the object grows. Kind of like, you know, like if like the most dead, like if someone were to have a, you know, a, as horrible as it is, like, you know, if any, anyone has like a, loses a home to like fire, it's not the furniture, you know, like it's always like, like it's the, like the most precious things are photographs. It's almost like photographic. Friend of mine has actually been talking about, you know, like not photographs, but the photographic is like the ability of a photograph, like the power of it to, to see the unseen. You know, if you look at an old photograph, like you can like remember textures or smells or um, like, like a photograph is sort of like or a imagine them. Yes. That you're able to like see the unseen. And I think a lot of that, you know, can come from these objects that we live with. They're like, there's like, I'm looking at my cup shelf right now and there's like a lot of cups on there, but really it's kind of like a lot of, it's like a, a bunch of different portals to experiences or friends or yeah. Like there's one cup in particular. It's like, um, and it's funny because I don't use it anymore because it was a friend of mine, Anderson Bailey, actually um, horrible. Like, um, like, passed away we have brain cancer. cups yes i've got i've got like a, a number of his works and like uh and when he passed away it's interesting because i stopped using it mm-hmm. um and like i like i even take all my everything to, like when it's cup day take everything to, to school there's a couple that i don't that's one of them and it's funny because like i can actually hear him just like you know like hear him thinking about that i was like yeah i don't use that cup uh because you know i don't want to break it and like i can just hear him it's like uh, well, that's that's kind of dumb <laughs> <laughs> but like i could just like imagine like just asking him for like telling him that he's like that's just stupid <laughs> uh, and he's right but it is interesting how those objects have power okay. that's good radio chris <laughs> <laughs> No, it's great, man. Your your passion and your knowledge and your introspection to things that people don't think about. So where did the Eames chairs fall into it? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, um, like, once again, it's like, just like about the domestic sort of like, it's like, you know, like things about the domestic landscape, but like where that stuff came in, there's actually this one chair that um, my old roommate had, and then he got it from a thrift store and then something, I can't remember what the deal was, but like, it's kind of like, he was done with it or something. I remember anyways, I just remember taking this chair and it's sort of like, hmm. And like, it's like, all right, it's going to be a project. And I sort of like just took this chair and like, just like tore it down, sort of like refurbished it. I remember when you did that. And like, when I did that, I just kind of started researching like that. That's how I actually sort of like got into collecting mid-century furniture. Um, and it's like, once I started on this project, I started like researching like the era and all the other things, but like, like the Eames chairs, like the chair, like it's like a George Mulhauser. It's like, I love it. It's like the name of it's the Mr. Chair. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's like if it's Homer Simpson, like made a chair, it's Mr. Plow. But anyways, no, like when I was like researching like Charles and Ray Eames, really interesting. I mean, there's something about that time period. There's such an optimism, like, you know, like the fifties, like the fifties like and sixties. 
like a post-war economic boom. There are like so many things like um, where you just think like this, like the world is headed toward this, towards this utopia. Like, you know, this like the nuclear age and it's like, you know, like the, the Jetsons or, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like the world of tomorrow, you know, all these things. It's like so idealistic. Mm-hmm. And because there's like all these like new technologies, like new manufacturing processes that are like every, the future seems so bright. And even like Charles and Ray, like they have like the saying is like, we'll make the best for the most for the least, like make the best quality products for the most people for the least amount of money. Um, and like, you know, they were like the designs are, I don't know, timeless, I suppose. Um, and there's something very optimistic about that, something very comforting about that, if you think about like that era. And you know, as far as like, like thinking about that, it's like some of those designs are like this, um, some of these cabinets are like wall units. There's, they're like very playful, like, you know, like primary colors, like wood with like embossed, like, uh, like circles on and whatnot. I mean, they could be, they're sophisticated enough to be in any sort of like, you know, like, like high end, like, you know, like, attorney's office and playful enough to be in like a daycare it's like simultaneously mm-hmm. and there's like something interesting about being able to occupy like sort of like both of those spaces at the same time yeah um that i find interesting do you think your pots do that um i hope so it's kind of like you know you're asking about like you know like like the dots and there's something familiar about that and that's kind of like what i go or like i guess that's what we're always going for it's like like what is what are your sources like you know um you always want to steer clear of like the bumper sticker approach, you know, like they're like a souvenir, you know, <laughs> like I guess that's something I talk with the students. It's like, we're not creating a souvenir here. Like as far as like, just like slap, you know, it's like, just like go straight to the source. But, but if you can like sort of like reference something that is like a shared experience and like, like we're similar ages and like what those dots are from, or like they're referencing like a toy, like not sure how it would hold up these days, but like, um, like the light, right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you had played one, played with one at some point. Um, Absolutely, definitely 100% analog. But remember that as a kid, and that's kind of what like that portion of that work is about. Awesome. Um, and it, yeah, it just provides a framework to really just go nuts and do whatever you want. As far as like like it's just like a, it's a small part of it, but that's sort of like the like the entry point, I guess, like to that body of work is just that toy and that share experience. Like, I mean, some people, like I've heard some people say, you know, cause like it's they've always sort of like, I mean, we're always trying to like identify a pattern or like um, sort of like find our place in the work or a point of entry where like, it's like, Oh, this looks like something or like something in my experience is sort of like kind of tie me to this work. And I've had people tell me that, Oh, they're candy dots. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that works too. You know, like, right, uh, right. It's whatever they want to bring to it. Right. Yeah. It's like, like, you know, like that's how we like interact with objects is through our own experience. It's like, you know, like if you're crying in a movie, you're not crying for the character. It's like how, like did you see what, like, what you see of yourself in that character um, is sort of like, it's, it's like a reflection of our own experience. It's similar. I mean, it's the same thing with the way we interact with objects. That was great, man. Let's call it a night. That was awesome. That was it. All right. That was fast. It's perfect. Cool. Thank you, Chris, for being on the podcast. Where can people find out more about Chris Pickett on the interwebs, as Matt Long might say? Uh, um, um Instagram. Um, I'm a horrible, horrible social media person. I posted something yesterday as the first time since uh, October. So, uh, <laughs> but there's a fresh post out there. <laughs> it's, it's a good one, too. It's a good one. All right, brother. Thanks, Chris, for being on the episode this evening. Chris really spoke sincerely to what 
have been trying to achieve with my little mini cast series here to try to cross that divide between archaeology, this, you know, social science with its with its boxes and its parameters and its rules and and, you know, more conceptual ideas of material culture in art ceramics. Right. And so. Um, there's a lot of commonalities, and in a lot of ways, we're speaking the same language. And you know, as somebody who has their foot in both worlds, it, it is it it seems easy for me to understand how um, we can look at things in a similar way. But um, what I hoped to do with this uh, this series is really kind of convey that um, a little bit clear by speaking to some of these artists. So thank you, Chris, for doing that so well and being so sincere and personal with um, your interview. I appreciate that. If you'd like more information on Chris and his ceramic work, go to chrispicketceramics.com. That's Chris Pickett, P-I-C-K-E-T-T, ceramics, all one word, dot com. And you can find out tons of information and lots of really great images of the kind of work that Chris is doing. Um, and there you'll be able to see some of those, uh, those uh, colored dot vessels that I was referring to that we spoke to at the end of the episode. So thank you to the listeners, of course, for even tuning into these episodes. And thank you so much to my co-host for the Materialists uh, full-length episodes, Becky O'Sullivan from FPAN West Central. If you would like more information on FPAN, the Florida Public Archaeology Network, please go to fpan.us. Thanks, as always, to Have Gun Will Travel for the use of their song. You can find out more info on Have Gun at hgwtmusic.com. And you can, of course, holler at us at materialistpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you all next week. Um, this probably start wrapping up this series here. Only a couple more episodes, and then I'm going to be wrapping it up. But uh, till then, we will catch you on the flippity flip. <laughs>